How's it going, Dice Goblins? Welcome back to another episode of D20 Tower. My name's Liam, and I'll be your host today. I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons since I could walk, and now I'm here to walk you through my DMing journey and share the tips, tricks, and stories I've picked up along the way. So grab all your adventuring gear, prep your dice, and roll initiative. Let's begin. Hello, hello. Welcome back to D20 Tower. I'm here today with Dylan. Hola. Who has been one of my longest friends, if not the longest friend of my life outside of my family. And he's been playing D&D with me for almost 20 years. So, uh... God. Has it been that long? It has been that long. Bruh. It's been almost 20 years. Like, I knew it was over a decade, but... Yeah, I don't know. In 20 years, time moves forward, unfortunately. Uh, what was it? It wasn't... Was it... No, it was before freshman year, because I guess we started when we were in still... When I was still in middle school. Like, I started. Because that's when we started talking. Yeah. It was about 12. Like, when we were, like, 12 or 13. It's going on two decades. It's wild. But I figured that we would, uh, jump on and chat with everyone, because... We were sitting here talking about whether it would be strange or not to mix a xenomorph and a beholder and have a beholder open its mouth and have another beholder come out. Thoughts, Dylan? I mean, it's definitely uh, an aha cool moment that the DM gets not against the party, but as one of those bet you didn't see that coming, you thought you were winning. Ha ha ha. Like you maim it, you hurt it, and then it sticks out its tongue and there's a completely unharmed separate beholder with its own legendary actions and eye stalk blasts on it. I hadn't even really considered if it was going to have like Independent its own legendary actions and everything. That's terrifying. You figure they could share hit points because they're conjoined, but it's probably got its own action economy. It's just it doesn't come out unless it has to. I figured it has its own action economy, but I wasn't thinking it would have legendary actions. I mean, I don't see why not. If it's one, because you figure it's one of those bloodied or partially partway through the boss battle things. And... When those happen, at least on the stat blocks now, it's like it gets its legendary rea- it gets its legendary reactions back. So you just give that one its own set, and then the lar- I guess it could be beholder A and B. I don't know how you'd want to. So this really begs the question, though. Say they're in like an extreme circumstance, and the disintegration eye beam, eye stalk has to like come out and point at an awkward angle to really like get the get the right cone area what if it like disintegrates its own tongue now can it bleed out if the tongue is cut off the tongue beholder and if the tongue beholder is cut off does it become a full-fledged beholder or is it like not a beholder and it's like a gazer i mean it the, the thing feels really weird Honestly, it's kind of counter to a lot of Beholder lore because you don't... That's essentially two... Unless it's the same Beholder, just different versions of itself. 
You're basically talking about two beholders cooperating because they have no choice. So I guess it kind of sounds like one of those things that a beholder makes when it dreams. But what kind of dream makes a beholder have a think about a beholder with a beholder on its tongue? Sorry, I've heard a lot that, you know, people will say that they have a dream where their teeth fall out. And then there's always somebody else that says, oh, that means that you feel guilty about something. So maybe when beholders are wildly guilty for the first time and only time in their life, and this happens extremely rarely, they finally feel guilty and they, what, spawn another beholder? In their mouth? In their mouth that attaches itself. They are for... You felt guilt, now you're forever Okay, so how does the first beholder talk now? The first beholder? Psych... Like I said, that one just talks through psychic and then the other one can talk normally. Unless you're going to start chaining those things. But that just seems a bit much. Yeah. Because you're already talking about... Because this is a beholder, you're not... Okay, so what if we instead use the eye drake and it has a beholder in its mouth? Because now you have a flying eye drake that has a beholder that it can put at if its mouth. It's Does that, is the eye in that beholder's mouth? Like is the, the full beholder in the, the... Is the eye of the... So the eye drake has an eyeball in its mouth. If you replace that with a full beholder, will that beholder then open its mouth and have an eyeball? I guess if you wanted to keep with the theme, but also make a terrifying Lovecraftian beholderkin, yes. Because the that that creature can't talk as a baseline, can it? The eye drake? I believe it's You know I don't have my fizzbins on me right now and I don't know offhand. Because I it, would hope not. Or it just like speaks weird draconic. Because um, it's supposed to be beholders having nightmares about dragons, right? I guess. Um, so I guess... Because I kind of like, like the guilt idea, but that's just like, you're making a very interesting beholder at that point where... Well, to... yeah, and but that's kind of like part of it, right? You have... Beholders wouldn't feel guilt like naturally at all. So if they don't feel guilt and then one finally does, there has to be a magic reaction. And I'm yeah. No, I mean, that does make sense because their emotion, they're, they're low-key demigods because they just think things so intensely that they happen. Um, so having a unique... Does that make every depressed kid demigod i mean for themselves probably okay something yeah. something something we're all one we're all god yeah you're the one that's into mushrooms leave them out of this <laughs> <laughs> although beholder mike and Ids is also a terrifying thought you just give you give a beholder psychedelics that would be fun that could actually make for a really wonderful campaign idea a one-shot, a side character in a campaign where you just have a really, you just have a traditional hippie style character, but it's a beholder. 
It's like, oh no, it's like uh, Cheech from that 70s show. Oh my god. Cheech the Beholder. <laughs> Cheech isn't here, man. Tommy Chong. God, that would be funny. He's just got a clan of Beholder Mykonids around him. Uh, the only Beholder I've used recently was Jodrak. Big Joe. Yeah. I don't, yeah, no, I didn't actually get to interact with Big Joe oh, while you we came were playing. In after that. Yeah, well, he left like a letter, but that they opened. But other than that, he was like, "This town's about to get real screwy. I'm gonna leave now." Yeah, they asked him for help getting out of prison, and he decided that uh, he didn't like the guy that imprisoned them to start with, so he was gonna make a giant show out of it. So he disintegrated about half of a building, not attacking anyone. Literally just running through the halls of this building, blasting it out to make a point before he left. And then they hid in his uh, statue garden of competitor merchants. To be to be upfront, this Jod Big Joe in my campaign was uh, the Elon Musk of my world. He was the big industry lead because he used his iRay powers for industrial purposes and realized that he could make a lot more money doing that and having adventurers pay him for services rather than having to fight off adventurers. I mean, it is the more efficient thing because eventually an adventurer that can kill you is going to come along. At least if it's business, it's all about gold. Yeah, I mean, he was all about the gold. He actually even uh, sponsored two of the characters in the group because they agreed to it where they would have a... 15%, a permanent 15% discount on all of his shops, but they had a glowing illusory rune that would float above their clothing and armor on their chest. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And which confused the one... Or actually confused you, you confused because me. I described... Yeah, yeah, I described one of them coming through a portal and the first thing you see is just the, the symbol above their chest. Yeah. It's like, oh... There's beholders now, okay, as she's falling out of a portal and being dragged off by a bunch of gnolls. Yep. That was a fun time. And Big that... Joe's great. I encourage everyone to have some kind of silly Big Joe character in your campaigns. He was a titan of industry, a leader of men. Look, beholders are underutilized if they're only used as big monsters. I actually personally don't think that humans would do a do justice to a beholder villain. I I personally don't like running them just because I prefer to have them be this like strong esoteric thing going on in the background that you can't really handle because they've got too many moving pieces and too many pawns. I'm not saying you shouldn't use them. I'm just saying I've had a hard time justifying it. I like using zombie beholders. Well, there's... And, like, lower-level ones, like gazers. Well, a zombie beholder at that point is just an undead. It's like, well, I... Oh, wait. No, because, yeah, because it's different from, uh, like, the beholder liches. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's that's kind of the big issue with, like, aber their aberrations. Um, you're talking about something that is alien. So strange that it's alien to humanoids. So pulling off a personality like that can be weird because it's, it, it, you're right, it's an esoteric thing to pull off. Um, 
Because there means there's no right or wrong way to do it at the end of the day. Um, yeah, and it is very campaign-based, I guess. But make I, think that, I think that one of the ways that it really works is the popular one, right? You take Xanathar. The reason he's not the most powerful being in all of Waterdeep is because he's obsessed with a goldfish. Yeah. Like, he, he can't be away for very long. He can't, his plans can't be too complex. He can't risk his goldfish getting hurt. Isn't, so especially in, with Xanathar, isn't Xanathar like a title? It's whichever yeah, beholder. It is the Xanathar, yeah. yeah. But if you ask the Xanathar, they're the, I think you ask any Xanathar, they're the original Xanathar. I mean, yeah, but that's, I feel like that's a pretty universal beholder trait. It's if you ask them who's the greatest beholder, they're all going to say, well, me. I think that that's actually one of the better uses of that trope. I think there's a trope in fantasy of like, oh, the villain isn't the villain. It's a recurring villain with a title. And while it's not, first off, I don't think that's overly used as far as tropes go. You don't see it as frequently as you see some of the other villain ideas. I think that the most creative way I've ever seen it played out was with the Xanathar, and I think that's super interesting. I don't think that the whole concept is that deep, but when you make it a super powerful floating eyeball that's obsessed with the goldfish, it just, like, the flavor there becomes really fascinating. Well, yeah, because I don't even think it's about it being deep. It's about it being strange. It's... It's illogic. It's what it's a logic that makes perfect sense to the beholders because that's just how things are for them. But for us, it's like, why, why, why any of that? Why the goldfish? You have limitless power, but you're obsessed with the goldfish. Yep. And it's not even the same goldfish because they just keep swapping out the goldfish every time it dies. Hey, don't say that out loud. He doesn't know that. You're going to get some cultists killed, man. Like, we are not trying to out any Xanathar cultists on this podcast. I mean... So that was kind of messed up. To be fair, you follow a murderous aberration and you expect to not potentially get murdered. You're probably not very good at statistics. But I guess that doesn't make for a good cultist. Yeah. I, uh... So I want to go back to this because I had mentioned it before. My my guild leader, Big Joe, Jodorak Beldegarian, that was his full name. He uh, became big in the industry in, in industry in general because he used his IRAs. So I only had a few of those defined as as to their use. Um, this was. Something that I wanted to explore, but they didn't really spend much time talking to him. Um, I think the death ray is one of those, like, if it's being used in industry, I imagine that he would sell it to governments if they are, like, if they've got, like, a prison system and they use the death penalty. Because I feel like that would be, as as far as, like, magicians would be concerned, I imagine they would think of that like a chamber that does that like the uh electric chair would be like probably the most humane elvane way to uh 
get rid of their criminals. Boop. You're disintegrated. So the disintegration ray, I actually had very specific uses for. That was the one that was most well-defined because it's really good for a lot of, uh, like, rubble clearing, for one. But he wouldn't do this, like, directly. He would make devices yeah. that would do this. But one of them was, like, imagine a cremation system with beholder disintegration. Okay. You would do this to prevent anyone being able to come back as an undead, right? If you, Especially if you were, like, in a lich-infested area, kind of like you guys were where there was a lot of necromancy going on. It's a valuable thing to be able to prevent uh, Grandma from coming back and having to put her back down. Yeah. The death ray could have worked in um, landscaping. Landscaping and pest control. Just give them little little bug zappers. I also had, a, I guess, another one that was defined pretty well was the sleep ray. I feel like that was pretty obvious. It's a sleep aid. aid. Yeah. yeah, like everyone needs it. He, especially in a big city that makes a lot of industrial noise like that, especially because this city had airships. Like, you got airships going overhead. If you've got a little ring that projects sleep down on you for eight hours at night, that's, that's pretty great. The yeah. paralyzing ray was used for uh, hospitals, for like surgeries, because there was the big hospital... I guess the group never went there. It came up in conversation a couple times in that campaign, but there was a big hospital there, and almost all of their magic tech came from Big Joe. I mean, that makes sense. Just taking generally spells generally used for one thing and using them for actual normal purposes. That's how you make that magic tech city. Yeah, like the telekinetic ray from a beholder. That's just like... That's got construction services written all over it. Yeah. Construction services. I mean, wheelless vehicles, in theory. Because um, you just telekinetic ray whatever it's attached to up, and then you have something propel it. Yeah. Big Joe. He was a smart dude. He made a lot of money. He got out of that town before you guys firebombed it. Look, Chase fire popped it. And then you all, all as a group, Left. collectively unleashed no. the negative energy of a dead god fetus onto this. Brandon was like, we got these things. They plug in. I want to see what they do. And I was like, I guess I've only been here for two sessions. You've been here for like 15 yeah. It's your it's your campaign, man, if that's the way you want to go with it. But I think that that's a terrible idea. Yeah, but I think we're getting off the Beholder talk, and uh, I think that's about good for it. I think that was a perfect story for another time. Thanks for being on today, Dylan. No problem. And thanks for everybody for listening, and that's all we've got for you. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us anywhere podcasts go to adventure. Please give us a follow on Twitter at D20Tower to find out when we post new episodes. I hope all your games are engaging and fun for everyone at the table. Until next time, game on, Dice Goblins. <laughs>